0: They're having what we would call a midlife crisis. They're having some sort of massive life transition that is absolutely rocking their world, where something happens and they look me in the face and say, everything I believed is a lie. More Wiser Podcast. Courtney Warren,
1: clinical psychologist. So- I'd like you to start out by thinking of the biggest lie that you've told in the last year. And then I'm going to start at a million dollars. And you tell me how much it would take for you to share that lie publicly with the rest of the world. So would you share it for a million dollars to your network, the lie you've been telling yourself for the last year?
0: Oh my gosh. Is it a, an overt lie that I realized I told someone else or something that I've been telling myself that finally I'm able
1: to see? Ooh, which one would cost more?
0: I think that I probably would have to consider it for a million dollars because a million dollars is such a game changer in life. For humans, right? It's so much money. It's so much. But I also think your question really alludes to how difficult it is to be vulnerable, how painful it is to acknowledge first to yourself and then to another human being that you have done something that is morally and ethically problematic, that we often associate with being weak or flawed in some way. And that really acknowledging those imperfections about ourselves is incredibly difficult to do. And so I really like your question for that reason, because it really makes you think about how honest can you be with yourself? And then who do you really want to be that honest with in your life? Because being brutally raw with everyone is perhaps not the best idea.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think, as you're saying, <laughs> if you can even uncover what it is, maybe you're already winning. Because I feel like some of them are so deep-seated and and you know, before we we got on the call, I was trying to write down what some of them were of mine. And I'm sure the list would be 10 pages longer, but I just I'm I'm unaware of what they even are. So I wanted to ask you mm-hmm. in doing some reading leading up to this, I was a little confused self-deception versus denial. What's the difference technically between them?
0: Denial is a type of self-deception. Oh, okay. So self-deception is the overarching category of an inability to be honest with yourself, either because you refuse to believe the truth You're mired in some false belief system, which is a version of self-deception or because you deny reality. You absolutely refuse to believe the truth. Even when there are so many examples of it being thrown in your face, you deny, 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 say that can't be true. It isn't true. I refuse to believe it's true. Even when you're giving me evidence that I'm wrong.
1: And is that the same part of the brain then that lies to other people or are they sectioned off in in separate areas? Like if I lie to you about something, but I'm lying to myself, am I crowding that same area or are they partitioned and you're using different parts of the brain?
0: Ooh, that's such an interesting question. I don't know that I could tell you exactly what's going on in your brain when you lie to yourself versus when you lie to someone else. I'm not sure that we have those data yet. But what I will say is that philosophically and in terms of your mental health status, there is a difference when you overtly lie to someone and you know you're conveying something that isn't true, but you're trying to get them to believe it from when you believe your own self-deceptive lie. You think you're telling the truth, but you're objectively not. Those are very different because in one, in the first, when you're blatantly lying to somebody, you know it. You're manipulating. You're trying to get your way. You're saying something that you know isn't true. I didn't cheat on you. I'm totally trustworthy. I would never act like that. I'm not jealous, but you know you are. That's a very different psychological process than being mired in your own belief system that actually is false, but you can't possibly tell anyone else it's false because you yourself believe it's true. So those are quite different.
1: Now, when you when you come up with one of these self-fabrications, is it When it comes through the filter into your brain, is that where it gets distorted or is it once it's compiled and computed, then you go, I don't actually like that. Let's change either what I'm considering to be facts or just the whole story altogether.
0: What I think is so interesting about self-deception is that it really helps to think about it from a developmental perspective. So picture An infant, a little child, a little person who's growing up in a cultural context, in a family system, in an environment where we are like sponges of learning. We look around and we start absorbing information and making conclusions about ourselves and other people that we believe to be true. There isn't necessarily a thought process involved where you say, am I right? Am I not right? It's literally like you're a sponge. You're just absorbing. And so as you age, oftentimes we internalize or personally accept things to be true that we observe without critically thinking about whether they're accurate or not. And so in that way, it's very possible for us to emerge into adolescence and into adulthood with some really strong core beliefs, some really strong foundational beliefs about the world, about ourselves, about other people, and have never been put in a situation where we are questioning whether they're actually true or not. And so Confronting our self-deception in many ways requires an openness to become more self-aware, to see what those patterns of thinking and acting in belief systems are that you have unconsciously absorbed and decided reflect the truth with a capital T, reflect reality and be open to saying, wow, I, I learned this, but is it actually true? Do I actually have evidence data to suggest that this is an honest reality, an honest reflection of the world? Or have I believed something that is holding me down, that is affecting my current relationships and functionality as an adult in ways that I haven't been able to see because I haven't been able to even question whether my thinking is accurate or not? And so I'll give you an example because sometimes it helps to to see examples. I use myself in romantic relationships often to really help people see that self-deception is a very human process. It's actually highly protective. It helps you to learn It helps you to observe what you see in your environment and then use that information moving forward. But it also helps you not admit things that would be very painful. So I grew up in a very dysfunctional family system. My parents were definitely in a dysfunctional relationship and got divorced when I was really young. I was about four years old. And at the time, I'm observing my primary caregivers really hating each other, not communicating with each other, fighting violently with each other, struggling emotionally. And at the time, I could not have told you what I learned about love and relationships in that moment, but I learned an awful lot. And as I emerged into adolescence and young adulthood and started dating, I realized that I had very strong emotional reactions to the people that I was dating that actually didn't make any sense given the situation that I was in at the time. And so to really unpack my own self-deception, I had to say, wow, okay, I'm having an argument with someone that I'm dating right now and my reaction emotionally seems really extreme. I am so mad at you right now. But I am objectively looking at this situation going, you know, it seems like this is like a three on the emotion-provoking scale, and I'm having like a 25. What is it that I am thinking and feeling that I can't admit that I have learned and brought into this current relationship that has very little to do with the current relationship and is actually a reflection of some core beliefs that I learned long ago about myself and about safety and about love. For example, as I unpacked my own core beliefs, it became very apparent that I learned that love was not safe, that you cannot trust people, and that actually the way you show love Is to be really over the top emotional. And it took me having experiences as I aged and saw myself from an observational perspective, from an awareness perspective, to be able to say, wow. What is it that I am not able to admit to myself right now that is hurting my current ability to have relationships with people that I actually need to change if I'm ever going to have a healthy relationship with anyone?
1: So now let's pair your younger self with someone who's put into the wild and raised by wolves. So yeah. they have no societal you know, impacts on them. Do you think Both of you would have the same propensity for self-deception by the time you reached adulthood or does being in a modern world with technology and social media mold the mind to lie more to ourselves than otherwise we might?
0: Well, even someone in the wild with the wolves, I think, has a cultural environment. You were raised in a cultural environment. You exist in a social environment, even if there aren't any people there. Something was serving you. You were learning something. You were observing something. So I think that our tendency to learn and to observe lends itself developmentally to believing things without questioning them. And in that way, you will be prone to self-deception that is shaped by your early childhood environment, whether it's in the middle of the woods or in a bombarded media culture right now, or in a relatively dysfunctional family system, or in a really highly functional family system. No matter what environment you're coming from, you learned something. And what I would say is that across situations... Wherever you felt most vulnerable or insecure or uncomfortable as a child is where you will be most prone to lying to yourself as an adult. Because those are the areas in which self deception serves its most important function, which is to protect you from painful information that you don't want to acknowledge consciously. So, being really aware of the areas in which you're most sensitive is the first step to healing or working with your self-deceptive tendencies.
1: So then can self-deception ever be a good thing? So I'm I'm thinking of a case where maybe you have some repressed childhood memories of trauma and, Mm and you know, by some chance you were able to, to move on by suppressing those. And you now have a happy life. You're, you're doing okay. And you've changed reality in your brain in order to do that. Is, is it okay to do that? Or do you always have to, to have the self reflection and go back and tear off the scab or is it ever okay to just go, eh, yeah, I'm going to lie to myself. I think deep down, I know it was different, but I'm happy now.
0: I think it's such a really interesting question because in therapy, for example, there are times where I will work with someone or see someone who my perception of them is that they're lying to themselves in some way. But I also know the function of self-deception and pulling off that wound and exposing it in its rawness requires that you have enough self-esteem and self-efficacy that you can handle it. And so it may not be in their best interest to see a brutal reality, even if I have a hypothesis that there probably is one there. So regarding your question, I guess I would say this. I will argue very strongly that the goal of All of us as humans in this life is to be as honest with ourselves as possible, because the more you know yourself, the more freedom you will have to make choices that lead you to live the most fulfilling life possible for you. It is the ultimate empowerment to become authentic, to understand who you are, where you came from, what values you have, what you need in this lifetime to look yourself in the mirror and say, I lived the life I needed to live. I was the person I chose to be. I overcame whatever adversity I experienced to transform into what I believe was the most wonderful, positive, uh, graceful human I could become. I think that is the goal. And does it serve people sometimes to live in a self-deceptive bubble? Yes, it certainly does. In some ways, ignorance really is bliss. If you live in a distorted reality that seems somewhat functional, even though it isn't objectively authentic, that probably serves a function for you. The danger in that, however, is when the bubble breaks, something about your seemingly ideal life that you've crafted based on a version of reality that isn't really real has a crack in it. And when that happens, what's very likely is for the whole entire thing to fall apart. And that is a very scary place to be emotionally and psychologically. That's when a lot of people come into therapy, right? When they're having what we would call a midlife crisis, they're having some sort of massive life transition that is absolutely rocking their world. Where something happens and they look me in the face and say, Everything I believed is a lie. Wow. I was living a lie, Dr. Warren. What am I going to do now?
1: So, what's the biggest lie then that you see currently coming into your office in 2023? Like, if you had to bin them in categories, what do you think you see the most of nowadays?
0: Oh, my goodness. I don't know that I could say there is one lie that is in a big bin that's everyone but i i think one thing that i focused on with probably everyone i will ever work with is what you have control over because one thing that happens when people get spinning in a self-deceptive loop of thinking is that there is a tremendous focus on the external or outside realities of their life. There's a, well, my partner did this, or my boss did this, or my kid is this way, or I was raised in this horrible, terrible environment. And so their focus stays external. And in many ways, that systemically keeps you in a lie that you have no control over your life. And from a psychological perspective, that's a very dangerous place to be because it leaves people feeling helpless. Without any degree of self efficacy, where they can stare down the realities of their life in the most radically honest way possible, where I would say, stare down your partner, stare down your boss, stare down your kid, tell me the most brutal realities that you are living through or have lived through. I'm going to let you feel that. I'm going to let you acknowledge it. I'm going to let you be there. But I'm not. Going to let you stay there because that doesn't serve you well. What we're going to do is stop the lie that your outside reality determines your internal experience and your internal value as a human being, because that is a massive lie that most people believe that somehow their value and their well being is determined by their external circumstances. False. Absolutely false. Your journey in this life is to be able to honestly see every experience that you have in this world, look yourself in the eye, and say, Who am I going to be in response to it? Because that's where your power lies. That's where your ability to affect your well being lies. And that is how you're going to transform through the really brutal, painful realities that every single one of us as a human being is going to have in this life. You are not going to get out of this life unscathed. I don't believe it. We all may have different difficulties. Some of us have shared difficulties, but whatever they are, life is going to be really hard sometimes. And so my question to you isn't, is life going to be hard? My question to you is, what are you going to do in response to the hardship when it happens to ensure that you are the human being you want to be.
1: And that is such a hard thing to do though. I mean, with, without, a, without you in the room, I mean, that's a very difficult task on your own at, at home. Hey, real quick, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to say thank you to everybody for all the support since starting this podcast. I really do appreciate it. And if you're looking for a way to support the show, you don't need to buy anything. I'm not asking you to, to do anything out of the ordinary. Just tell a friend. Just tell a friend that, Hey, I found this new podcast where Joe spends hours researching every guest because he really does respect your time and want it to be worthwhile. So if you're looking to help me out, you could make my week by just telling someone about the show. That's it. All right, let's get back to it. And going back to something you said, you know, your value as a human is so often in the mirror. You're, you, you see yourself every day in so many objects. And so I wanted to ask you about body dysmorphia because Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's self-deception or not because you're looking at yourself, I would say, trying to be objective, but it's coming through a very distorted filter and then the information that gets to your brain is skewed, but it's not necessarily a lie. Where does it fall on the spectrum for you?
0: Mm. So there's a range of body image that we can talk about. And when you refer reference body dysmorphia, usually that term is used in regard to body dysmorphic disorder, which is when you become or when someone becomes highly fixated on a specific detail of their appearance that they really dislike and they see it as highly distorted, as highly problematic as if this one small feature makes their entire appearance brutally ugly, terribly offensive, incredibly off-putting. And we also use this term sometimes with regard to muscle dysmorphia, which is often used to describe people who go to the gym a lot. It's more prominent in men than in women who are, by all accounts, these very cut, very fit, very large bodies of hyper fitness, really, who see themselves as small, weak, underweight. And so when you think about that, is there deception in their perspective? I would have to say yes, because oftentimes when I talk about self-deception, The biggest difficulty is that it is so hard for us to see how we lie to ourselves, right? Because that would require us to tell the truth. So it is incredibly hard for us to see where we're distorted. So I will often ask people, you know, if I asked a hundred people just off the street, just random strangers, whether this one attribute of your appearance made you horrendously ugly and they never want to look at you. What do you think they would say? And most people, even when they're in their really deceptive mind, can say, yeah, they would say I'm really fit. Yeah, they would say I'm really big. I know that other people don't see me the way that I see me. And any time that happens, there's probably some deception going on in yourself because some of the things we say to ourselves are so cruel and miserable that if you said them out loud, you would probably be aghast and think no one would ever say that to me. No one in the world would ever say right. something <laughs> that horrible to me, but I say it to myself every day. Um, anytime you find that in yourself, it's a massive red flag for me. Pause there's probably something quite off here. There is a way in which you are repeatedly reinforcing a belief system and a thinking pattern that is not true and not helpful. And I bring up the not helpful part also because I usually focus on two questions when I'm working with people about honesty. The first is, is this accurate? And that's one that we challenge through Cognitive restructuring is what we would call it in psychology, where we really try to look objectively at your thinking patterns. We look for ways in which your thinking patterns are really distorted, like are you denying things? Are you rationalizing things? Are you using emotional reasoning or selectively avoiding things so that you are maintaining this belief system When we challenge it? The second question I ask them is, is this helpful? Because sometimes when you're really mired in your own self deceptive beliefs, it takes a while before you can see that you're actually lying to yourself. It takes practice. It takes continually working with your own thoughts and your own perspectives. For example, going back to body dysmorphia. If I'm working with someone who has pretty severe body dissatisfaction where they really think they're unattractive, they don't wanna see themselves naked in the mirror, they have absolutely negative perceptions of their physical being. One thing that we will do is work up to mirror exercises where you look at yourself naked in the mirror or with very few clothes on and start focusing on positive. I love this about my appearance. I have a beautiful smile. I'm a wonderful person. I need to look at myself and appreciate my body for what it does for me. Now. It's not going to solve the body image issue in a day, but if you practice that over and over and over with help and with a deliberate eye towards thinking things that are helpful for you, eventually it gets easier for you to look back and say, wow, that really wasn't true. My body really is Beautiful in its own unique way with my hair the way it is and my eye color the way it is and my lips and my shoulders. And I was really being so cruel to myself, which made me not only feel worse, but reinforced this very destructive pattern of thinking
1: that wasn't even real. Can it ever be a tool? Can you ever use self-deception to your advantage. I think of geniuses or all-star athletes or people who are orders of magnitude above their peers. And and I'm drawn to a story of Michael Jordan where he told himself a lie that, that another player had disrespected him by saying something and it motivated him to go out and, and achieve, you know, an amazing second half of this game, clearly lying to himself. Mm -hmm. Do you notice that in people who are just exponentially above the rest that they use it as a tool?
0: They might. I think, As I'm going back to what I said in the beginning, I think, though, the ultimate goal is to be as honest with yourself as possible. So without putting Michael Jordan on the spot, whatever motivated him about believing that, if you could say to yourself, this didn't really happen, but you know what motivates me is thinking that some other person is going to tell me that I can't do it then stay with that. You can still get the benefits of whatever function the self-deception had for you, probably by admitting the truth to yourself and then recognizing what it is about the deceptive thought that's motivating for you.
1: Because I also think of people who who maybe constantly think they're not Good enough, Mm -hmm. and especially maybe. And I'm I'm drawn to athletics. That's my background. And so, you know, if you have that constantly in your brain, even though you might be a decent player, it kind of pushes you harder if you think you're not good enough or that you 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 won't succeed to to go that extra mile. So I'm I'm really struggling here with. I know you want to be as truthful as possible, but but sometimes I feel like it can be leveraged towards you know, pushing your mind or your body past a limit that it might not otherwise be if, if you do full honesty or is the best way to have full honesty and just go, I need to work harder. Is, is that actually what you should be doing and we're all just doing it wrong?
0: You know, I don't, I'm trying to think about this in terms of athletic performance and competition, as you're describing competition in and of itself, isn't good or bad, but it can have positive or negative effects on your performance. It can have positive or negative effects on your mental health. So you could have a friend who is neck and neck with you in terms of, you know, how fast you are racing track and having that competition can make you strive to be better, or if they beat you in the next race, could tank your self-esteem and make you implode. So it isn't really the event itself. It's your interpretation of it. I think that when it comes to self-deception, the best way to be is to acknowledge fully who you are and where you are and how good or bad you are at something and what you actually need to do to get better. And so I would not encourage people to lie to themselves as a mechanism of personal improvement or to make yourself faster, my hope would be that you'd be able to really reasonably assess, how good am I at this? And if I'm not good enough to meet my own standards or to meet the time that I wanted or to catch the balls many times or shoot enough baskets, then what do I need to do to get there, honestly? Which might be things like, wow, I got to work out more. I got to practice more. I got to eat better, whatever it is, because
1: you're going to make better choices if you have all the information. And I'm glad you mentioned faster because I, I, I wrote something down I really want to get your opinion on. So I've heard you speak on why this manifests itself in our brains, but I can't help but wonder how did this tendency survive? Because if you're way back in say the stone age, and I incorrectly believe I'm faster than I really am, I'll put myself in situations potentially around predators where I will absolutely become dinner because I am not as equipped to evade them as I think I actually am. So it seems like it would be really dangerous before the supermarket age to actually do this. So how did this stay? I mean, how did all those people who were lying to themselves back when it really mattered, stay alive long enough to procreate?
0: Mm. Well, gosh, what a compelling kind of situation to think about. You know, I don't know about self-deception in, um, Cavemen days, if we think about it that way. And actually, self-deception is correlated with IQ, with intelligence. Because if you think about it, you you really have to be able to manipulate reality to lie. And we see this in, in overt lying a lot, where you have to be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and think about what they might be thinking in order for you to convince them how you want them to be thinking. And so in studies on overt lying, for example, in children, you see very clear developmental differences in ages in which children learn that they can lie, right? Interesting. So from a really young age, you might see two, three-year-olds just blatantly lie to you and think that you might not catch them. Like, oh, no, I didn't eat that cookie, even though I'm like, I literally have a cookie in my mouth. I'm not eating a cookie. And you're looking right. at them like, I'm watching you eat a it's cookie right, there, right yep. now. <laughs> like, you're definitely eating a cookie. Um, and then as the age Into school age, they might start to realize that they can get away with lying sometimes if they can manipulate the parent or the friend or their little sibling into not really understanding what they're doing. And then over time, we evolve into some moral and ethical decision-making as you age even more where you start actually questioning whether it's a good idea to lie to other people, whether that's the right thing to do. When you think about self-deception, in the long run, I think what you're pointing out with this analogy that if you think you're faster than you are and the lion's going to catch you, so it's not going to serve you well. In the long run, self-deception actually has tremendous negative consequences. Um, If you lie to yourself as an adult about Really a host of things, whether it's your fitness level, whether it's your ability to be close to people in relationships, your parenting ability, and you're doing harm to yourself and others because of it those are massive negative consequences. For example, you could be in denial about the fact that uh, drinking alcohol is bad for your health or smoking is bad for your health. You could say, well, I only have a few day drinks, you know, a day. And so I'm not going to get heart disease or diabetes or have any of these things, that's a massive liability for us as humans. That's dangerous for your physical health. Or you could say to yourself, you know, I only yell at my kids when they're doing something really bad and they deserve it. Well, if you tell yourself that enough, you probably will become a parent who is verbally abusive to your children, perhaps even physically aggressive with them, which in the long run isn't great for their mental health. It's also not great for your relationship with them over time. So I don't want to suggest that self-deception as an adult or as an aging person is beneficial for you. It really isn't. The catch is that it serves a function when you're not psychologically strong enough to admit something that's true. So if it is such an ego hit to you to admit that you're not that fast, right, where, you, where you're where you looking around and you're going, oh, no, I'm faster than that. I'm faster than that. Not because you are faster, but because if you admit that you're slow, it hurts. Ouch. That's where self-deception's function is. The function doesn't mean that it serves you well in the long run. It really doesn't. It serves you well in the very short run to protect you from things that you don't want to admit.
1: Okay. An emotional protection, your feelings. Okay. Your feelings,
0: your kind of core ego is what we would call it in psychology, a la Freud from a long time ago. That solid, rational part of you that wants to maintain a positive view of yourself, wants to see yourself as a a rational, reasonable, solid human being.
1: Now, are there certain personality types that are more prone to self-deception? I know you've mentioned IQ and um, being psychologically strong enough, but does a certain personality characteristic that you've seen lend itself to being more prone to self-deceiving oneself?
0: I'm not sure that I would say personality trait per se. What I would say is that as we talked about earlier, if you have lived through a childhood experience where you were not securely attached to your parents, or you have been in situations that were traumatic for you, It will be much more likely that around those circumstances and issues, you will want to lie to yourself because it protects you from that trauma and emotional pain of acknowledging a reality that was really difficult. You know, I just wrote a book on romantic relationships and breakups. And I'll give you an example. One of the things that I see a lot in breakups that's self deceptive is my ex was the best. We loved each other so much. I can change them. I'm going to make them change. They're going to come back to me. It's going to work. We're going to get back together. We can do this. I can do it. I'll fix whatever was wrong with me and I will make this work. When you stay mired in those thoughts and you're broken up, you have a lot of evidence to the contrary you are in a circumstance, not really a personality trait, but in a circumstance that is highly difficult for most humans. Nobody really likes to go through a breakup that can actually feel like a massive loss. For many people, it's like a grieving process, getting divorced or breaking up, where you go through this moment in time in your life uh, from shock, like, are we really breaking up, to denial, we're not breaking up. This can't be happening to me. To bargaining, I can make it work. We'll fix it. There's got to be something we can do. To a whole host of emotions, sadness, complete anxiety, uh, total grief feelings of depression. That is really circumstantial but it's a circumstance that I'm trying to highlight because it's a situation where you're very likely to feel insecure and upset and lost. And as if your identity is being crushed or shifted, or you might look in the mirror and say, I don't even know who I am anymore without this person. My identity and my self-esteem was in part built upon this relationship that I was in. And because of it, That's a situation where people are very likely to lie to themselves because we believe very deceptive things about people we fall in love with to begin with. And then when it ends, we continue our deception in ways that keep us stuck on a former lover and will very much make it difficult to move on until you challenge those self-deceptive thoughts.
1: Now, the book you're referencing is the book you just wrote, How to Let Go of Your Ex, which folks can grab anywhere you buy books. And I'm happy we're steering into this section a bit. And I want to propose the follow-on chapter that was never written and get your take on this. So I don't know if you're a fan of true crime or if you watch them at all. But (laughs) I'm constantly shocked when I see normally a man murder his spouse the reason for doing it and i'm i have to ask you is it honestly the lie that it's simpler and cleaner to kill someone than have a divorce or what are the layers of those self deceptions that a murderer has that justifies i'm going to kill my spouse instead of just leave them
0: mm Well, that's a very extreme circumstance that you're describing. Um, I wish it was more rare than it is, because as you probably know, it's much more likely for us to be killed by a loved one than someone that we don't know, which somehow boggles the mind. You know, I think that when it comes to abusive relationships... And violent relationships, there are a lot of self-deceptive tendencies used to justify harming the other person. And when it comes to something like murder and the controversy of divorce that you just said, you know, I I don't know that I can speak to actually killing someone, but I do think that in violent offenders of domestic violence partner. So when you're actually in a relationship with someone, there are deceptive thoughts about ownership. So this is my spouse, my wife, my husband, my partner. And so they don't get to have a life if I'm not a part of it because they're mine, this ownership piece. There's a piece about money. Oftentimes when we're talking about divorce, that they are going to take half of what's mine. Again, it's an ownership, but it's also a financial motive where how dare they, they don't deserve it. If I don't get to have them, no one will. There's a jealousy component oftentimes around them having a future life with another partner or their children having another adult figure that's a step parent or some version of another parent. And all of those kind of Solidify down to this core belief that justifies mistreating somebody else, i.e., their spouse, uh, for all of these reasons. Wonderful rationalizations. Rationalization is self deception used by trying to explain away unacceptable behavior with some logic. They cheated on me, so they don't deserve to live anymore. They're leaving me, how dare they, so I can do whatever I want to them. I'm going to take all the money out of our savings account and leave because they don't deserve to have it after how they treated me. That's all rationalization. It's lies you tell yourself to justify ways you're acting that are actually completely inhumane and, and really not ethical. So I think there are probably a host of faulty beliefs that anyone who engages in violent behavior towards another person uses in their own mind to feel better about what they're doing.
1: And so kind of in the same vein, if you're prone to deceiving yourself which we know now is not a characteristic quality, but more of a a historical, uh, something that led up to you being this way. If you are more likely to do that, are there any relationships between say your propensity to be manipulated by other people? Like I think of joining a cult, right? Like, Mm -hmm. or is it, I'm so good at lying to myself. It's going to be really hard for you and all this gibberish to actually break in through the wall and get into my you know, deep brain where the truth lives, which mm. is it closer to?
0: Well, I want to clarify that all of us lie to ourselves. We're all going to lie to ourselves. The degree to which you do it and the ways in which you do it will probably be very unique to your life, who you are where you were raised, what you learned, and how it affects you currently in your current life. I think in terms of cults or being manipulated, I don't know if that has as much to do with self-deception as it has to do with being vulnerable um, and easily influenced by others to fill yourself up. So most of us want to believe in something. We want to believe in that our life has meaning. We want to believe in other people, that we can have a partner, that there is a God, that there is some power greater than ourselves that is functioning in the world to help us. So I think there is a tendency for us to want to believe in them. What I think happens oftentimes in manipulation is that Our insecurities are being capitalized on by somebody else so that they can get us to do what they want us to do or believe what what they want us to believe. Um, One thing that I think about is juvenile prostitution. So I was a faculty member in Las Vegas where there's a tremendous amount of sex trafficking and child prostitution and That's actually true all over the world. So I'm not saying that this is just Vegas. Um, But pimps would really prey on young people who had really traumatic backgrounds because it was easily more easy to manipulate them, to see where their vulnerabilities were, to see where their insecurities were and to capitalize on them almost as if they were a savior or as if someone they could look up to or I'll help you. And that can rope people in in a really, really dysfunctional way. Again, I'm talking about adolescents here mostly, but you see this in adults as well, where they will be easily deceived into believing that they need this person to survive, to be okay, and that they're actually – this is a manifestation of love that that my pimp loves me, that they want to help me, that they are here to be sure that I'm okay. And they're deceiving themselves because they can't see any of the other nuances that are going on. So we're more vulnerable to manipulation if someone can target our needs or our wants or our desires and exploit them.
1: So it's really, they're not self-deception and being prone to manipulation are not tied, but they share probably the same origin story.
0: I think they probably both share a whole lot of insecurity and lack of ability to feel safe and sound in your own skin with your own opinions and your own ability to
1: navigate life. And like you said, we all lie to ourselves every day, which brings me to television, which seems to be like the number one way to A, escape reality kind of assume someone else's life and then go back to your own. So when you watch TV, well, here, let me ask you, when you watch TV, Mm -hmm. what sorts of mental safeguards do you put up to not, mm, what would be the right word, to not uh, maybe assume that that character is filling a void in your own life and that you're able to patch things with what you're watching or like escape your own reality. How, how do you watch TV, Dr. Warren? What's the safest way to do it?
0: How do I watch TV? Gosh, that's so interesting of a question. Um, You know, I really watch TV for an escape and entertainment, just something very light and fun. But I understand your question because we are highly suggestible when it comes to social and cultural norms particularly as we are growing up, right? And I think this is probably more obvious when we think about social media nowadays, because oftentimes children and adults, even unconsciously, will scroll through social media of friends and acquaintances and assume that what they see is an accurate reflection of that friend's life, Right. right. Well, my friend is dating everybody and going to all these parties and really wealthy and looks gorgeous all the time and has all these fun events going on. And the reality is that you absolutely need some media literacy training and some safeguards, as you put it, to be sure that you, A, understand that that's not an accurate depiction of reality. That B... Most people do not even tell the truth on social media most of the time about what their life really looks like and see that through the social comparison process, by looking at their images and comparing them to your life, you are very likely to think that your life stinks because what is projected is such a glamorous, positive depiction usually of what Most people's lives are. And if you can remember that when you're on social media or looking at mainstream television or movies, it can be very helpful in ensuring that you don't leave those interactions feeling worse about yourself and your life.
1: Does it make, does being on social media and not Having that self awareness, does it put you at a higher risk to escalate other lies that you might be carrying in your life? Is it, can you even have an open and honest look at yourself in other areas if in this big world of social media you refuse to look at what's happening objectively?
0: I think you can probably because self deception will emerge anywhere and everywhere. And the goal is really. To start by increasing your awareness. So when you want to get on social media, for example, even just asking yourself, why am I interested? Am I feeling insecure right now? So I want to post a picture and my goal is to get a thousand likes so that I feel better. Am I feeling um, just bored So I just want to scroll and see somebody else doing something that maybe is entertaining to me. What, what is it that I'm looking for? What is it that's motivating me? What is it that I'm feeling right now? Are there patterns that I have? Are there times that, you know, after a breakup, for example, are you going online to try to catch pictures of your ex with other people or see what they're doing? Because the more awareness you have of your motivation the more likely you are to be able to say, oh my gosh, I realize that when I'm feeling really sad or when I'm feeling really anxious, I go online. Wow, now that I see that, I realize that going online is serving a function for me to try to distract me from pain in my life or try to give me information that's going to ease my anxiety somehow or make me feel better about myself. And because I now know that, I'm going to pause the next time I'm feeling anxious and want to go on social media and instead spend some time being introspective, making myself feel better about who I am without using this online mechanism. You know, know thyself, know thyself, know thyself. It is probably the greatest message I could ever give anyone because. The more you understand yourself, the more power you have to understand who you are, what motivates you, what drives you, what you're interested in, and really curb the negative effects of self-deception
1: in your life. And you probably know more about other people than many people know about themselves, if that sentence made any sense since you've talked to so many. Now, I asked you earlier, what the most common one, uh, self-deception is that you see, but what's a subtle under the radar one that we all do that we don't really realize that you think is causing more damage to our daily lives than most people probably recognize.
0: Mm, Under the radar ones. Well, I probably have so many Um, that you're defined by your achievements Many people believe that in various versions. If I make enough money, if I have the right job, if I marry the right person, if I weigh the right amount on the scale this morning, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be valuable. Then my life will be complete. Then it will be easy. No, 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 no. When you repeat those messages to yourself, even unconsciously, It ties you again to an external reality determining your internal experience. And it doesn't serve any of us well to do that. Um, I think people have a lot of self-deceptive, negative attitudes about themselves that they may not even realize they say to themselves. So you might have an internal dialogue of when you make a mistake, I'm so so stupid i'm such a loser i can't admit this fault about myself my gosh if i tell somebody that i actually did this or think this they're going to hate me um any of that negative self commentary is generally pretty damaging to us over time um let me think of another one that i hear a lot in terms of a theme i think any version of if X was different in my life, then I would be fulfilled. There's, there's, I think a common misconception right now that if you do all the right things, your life will naturally fall into place and you'll be happy. So if I, do well in school, and I work hard, and I build this great life for myself, that might be a great life, that it means that there's no hardship, that I'm not going to struggle, that I'm not going to have moments where I look around and go, what the heck am I doing? And how did I get here? I think that's deceptive. I think it's a much healthier way. Sort of belief system to start with the premise that you might do all the right things and bad things happen to good people every day. And things will happen in your life that will actually lead you to look back and say, wow, that really wasn't the right choice for me. The beautiful thing about self honesty is that if you can admit it when it happens, you always have an opportunity to change your choices because the more you understand, wow, I did that. I got in that relationship. I took that job. I took that job to be a lawyer because my parents wanted me to be a lawyer. Not because I'm really that interested in law. And I built a whole life on me being a lawyer. And here I am. And I'm looking around going, I don't really like this that much. This isn't very fulfilling to me. This isn't what I want to do with my time. I'm not passionate about it. Now you have a choice. Now you've acknowledged your motivation for making choices up until now. And you're saying, and now I see it and I need to change my choices. And that's the most beautiful thing about self-honesty is that if you can embrace trying to understand yourself each day, then over time you evolve and shift as you need to based on how you understand yourself next. And in that way, you have ultimate power of shifting your life circumstance and perspective.
1: Amazing. Courtney, thank you so much for coming on. This has been an absolute pleasure picking your brain. I want to plug your book again that we've referenced a few times, How to Let Go of Your Ex. You have another one. Can you shout out the title if folks want to go get it?
0: Yes. So it's Letting Go of Your Ex and It's Lies You Tell Yourself. I gave a TEDx talk many years ago now on the psychology of self-deception because I got so many questions from people about if I could teach the average human something about psychology, what would it be? And the truth is that the journey of understanding yourself is the journey of life. And so, the more you can confront the ways that you lie to yourself, the more empowered you will be to live the life that's most fulfilling
1: for you. Amazing. Thank you. And if folks want to get a hold of other work you're doing, a website or any socials you want to plug. <laughs>
0: Sure. DrCourtney.com. You're welcome to follow me on social media. I write a blog for psychology today. I also leave informational videos on Instagram and TikTok from time to time. If you're looking for tips or information on psychology and mental health.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on.
0: Thank you for having me. It was delightful talking with you.